Hey now, how are y'all? All right and super good. Okay. Um, yeah, so I wasn't here last week. Uh, so, yeah, some of you look new. Um, my name's Terrell. I'm the college pastor here. And I'll be around some, um, hopefully for the next couple weeks. Um, as, you, as you heard last week, we're going to be in the book of Romans for the whole year. I have shied away from this for a long time, actually. Uh, I've been preaching for about eight years, and I don't know, it's just a big book, you know? How many of you are familiar with the book of Romans? Like when I say Romans, you got an idea of what I'm talking about. How many of you, and I don't be shy, how many of you really have no idea the difference from Romans to Chronicles? Come on, Haley, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Um, maybe Chronicles is the bad one, like Romans from Ephesians, Okay, okay. Um, but just, just to set the stage, Rome, when Paul is writing, this is the center of the world, right? This is the center of the entire world. Um, Caesar rules the world. Um, and Paul is writing to this little church, right? Christianity started a long way away in Jerusalem. Um, and he's writing to a church in Rome. Jerusalem is just sort of on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. Uh, not a lot of people traveled there. If they did, it was just to see a temple and, and visit. Um, but Rome is like the Think Nacogdoches and think New York City. Right? That's great. That works. Um, it is the culture center of the world. It is the richest most powerful place that the world had ever seen up to this point in time. Uh, and so Paul is writing to this little church in Rome. It's not the Roman Catholic Church when he's writing. It's like these poor people in the worst part of town gathering together because they have believed this story about Jesus. And Paul, who is the great missionary, has not even gotten there yet. Like it's just ahead of him. So it's small, it's developing. Um, it's troubled, um, and they are consistently under persecution because Rome doesn't necessarily care for Jewish people. Um, they're actually kicked out right before this letter is written. And Christianity at this time is hardly separable from Judaism. It's a little offshoot. Nobody really knows the difference. So that's too much of that. Let's jump in. I want to make it down to verse 17 tonight. Um, some of you are going to be familiar with 116 Romans 116 right because you've been listening to Lecrae right okay yeah um so let's make it in I, I yeah let's just start going it just I want you to keep in mind as we get going in this I need you to understand that I'm not simply just going to read the text and apply it I think that's kind of dangerous sometimes um you got to realize that this book is written from a Jewish theologian with Jewish theology to a Roman Greco culture. Okay, so most of us are not familiar with Jewish theology, and then probably most of us are not super familiar with, uh, with Greco-Roman culture. And so when we've got to understand this book through those two lenses, we, uh, it just takes a little bit. So tonight, I'm just going to be unpacking a few words. I want to be making some things clear. My guess is you use words in this book, if you were raised in the church and you're you know, a good Christian, um, you've used phrases or words in this book, and I think tonight it's going to be worth it that we 
flesh those out and unpack them more than I think perhaps you are or you're familiar with. Um, we've got to look through the lens of Jewish theology, through the lens of Greco-Roman culture to understand what it means. And then once we do that, we can really apply what is Paul saying to the Romans for us. Paul didn't write this letter to you or to me. He wrote it to, like I said, a troubled church in the center of the world 2,000 years ago. And we need to unpack a little baggage before we get there. Um, but this is going to be easy. This is going to be great. Um, okay, let's get started. I'm going to read through. We'll get to 17. It'll be a breeze. Um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised, that's God, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Old Testament, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David, King David long ago, according to the flesh. He was descended from King David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection. Referring to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name, so for the glory of God among all the nations, including you, you Roman people who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just an introduction. This is the old way of writing. Uh, they don't write and say like, hey. Uh, they do like this sort of lengthy introduction and then Paul is like extra lengthy for this type of writing. So this lengthy introduction and then he says to you. Right, to the Roman church. And so, just, let me just briefly give you what all that meant and as simple as I can. Paul is saying, I'm a person who's been commissioned or set apart or sent out by God to declare the gospel. That word really means good news. Okay? It really means good news. So when we hear the gospel, let's just, let's just strip away that word for a minute and let's just read it like it, what, like it says. To declare the good news... Um, th so he's a guy commissioned by God to declare the good news of something that happened in Israel to the rest of the world for the glory of God by gathering the nations. If you're here this morning, he's right in line with what we talked about this morning. Um, what is the good news? What is the good news? We have got to get this, and we're going to get this tonight, and then for the rest of the year, you'll be able to recite it back to me and at least some form of it. My guess is when I say the gospel or I say good news, if you're raised in church, you're going to run to something that is not quite enough for me. You're going to run to the gospel is this thing that you can believe or this statement about Jesus where you can ask Him into your heart and you can go to heaven when you die because He forgives sins. Something along those lines. Something along the lines of the gospel is I can not have sins on my shoulders anymore because... Jesus died on a cross and I can go to heaven when I die or they're not held against me. Right? That is a distilled, pretty American version of what that word means. Right? This word has a meaning in Roman culture. In Roman culture, whenever they would send out evangelists, that word evangelist comes from the root word of the gospel. Whenever they, whenever they would send out an evangelist, what that meant was is there were people going from town to town. Um, so if Caesar died and a new Caesar took his place, he would send out evangelists 
that would go from town to town in the Roman Empire and say, good news, good news, Tiberius is Lord. Good news, good news, Tiberius is Lord, right? So, so strip away your notions of good news and all that. What's going on is Paul has taken a word that these Romans understood, and what they understood is that when a new person came to power, when a new person took the place of an older person, or maybe a Caesar came in like Julius Caesar did and overthrew the Republic, so he sent out evangelists to preach the good news of him being in power. Okay, so keep this in mind. That's where that word comes from, and that is what Paul is. That's the way he's using it. So the good news is that the God who created the world has acted in Jesus to reclaim the world from the powers that are destroying it. Simply put, the good news is that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That Jesus is Lord. When he says gospel, he doesn't primarily mean an offer for you to go to heaven when you die. He means, he means God is back in control of the world again. It's not that he lost control and couldn't figure out what was going on, but he gave stewardship of the earth to humanity. Humanity walked away from him, and Jesus was the mechanism by which he rescued the world from humans giving it away to Satan and sin and then what we would call, this other word, the world, the, the systems and powers that are at work against humanity. So when we say the Gospel, we mean Jesus, that God of creation has acted in Jesus to reclaim the world. And He has put Jesus as Lord of that. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So he's writing to a small, troubled, poor church in the most powerful city in the world whose emperor claims to be the Son of God. If you look at coins minted in this time, what you're going to see is on the coin, it'll have Tiberius' face, and it'll say, Tiberius Caesar, Son of God. So when he says, when he says in verse, uh, in verse 3, that Jesus was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God in power. You've got to see that's not just a statement that Jesus is the offspring of God through Mary, however you want to put that. Rather, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Son of God, not Caesar. So this is, this is written to Rome. You feel what I'm saying? This is not just some, like, it's not just arbitrary words. Rather, it's a statement to these people that the person that you worship, so keep in mind at this time, Caesar is now setting up temples to himself all throughout the world so that people can come and worship Caesar. It's called emperor worship, emperor cult worship. It's just going on right after Julius Caesar and all the Caesars that come after him. They set up temples and statues to themselves so that they can be worshipped. And so Christianity enters the scene and says, no, 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 no. That is not actually the Lord. Jesus is Lord. So the good news is that Jesus is the true Son of God. He's from a dynasty that is thousands of years older than the Caesars. He's from the line of King David of the ancient Jewish texts. And that He has been resurrected by the Holy Spirit. He has been proven to be the actual Son of God by administering power over death. So let's just continue on. Let's keep moving. That's not the part I really want to unpack. We're going to get to the part I really want to unpack. So he continues on. He's just being these, these sort of niceties. 
Um, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel and the good news of his Son. Out without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but I've been prevented thus far in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. Okay. This is, just a, this is the way that these letters are written. This benediction is what that is. He's basically saying, I've heard of you. I've heard that you have faith. I've wanted to come and see you because you're in Rome, and I've heard of what's going on there, and I've longed to come see you so that I, Paul, can impart to you some spiritual gift and that I can be edified by interacting with you who are Christians who have never had an apostle come through your town. You didn't hear it from Jesus himself, and you didn't hear it from Paul or Peter, from any of these people in the Gospels, you didn't hear of, of, of you, we don't know how it got to Rome. We don't know how Christianity got to Rome. And so Paul is looking forward and saying, I don't know how it got there, but I long to come and see you so that I can part some things to you and I could receive from you encouragement by seeing that the movement of God is happening throughout the world, just like Jesus said it would. Um, let's keep going. Let's keep going. There's a place I want to land on. Right? And then so the part you know. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it, the good news, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to unpack 16 tonight. I want to spend a lot more time unpacking 16 and 17 more. 16 and 17 are going to be the bud of the rose that the rest of Romans unfolds from. Everything that's going to happen in Romans is locked up in what he just said in those verses. And so I want to start by giving us what I've already started, another clear definition, right? Um, I want to be even more clear about this definition of the gospel. What he's saying is I'm not ashamed of this good news, this gospel that Israel's God the Creator God has acted in history through Jesus to reclaim the world from the powers that were destroying it. We said that already. So when I say the powers that are destroying it, what do I mean? What exactly do I mean? Um, I mean a bunch of things. I mean um, from the power of sin that leads to death. So when I say the power of sin that leads to death, what I mean is that what we've seen throughout the Old Testament, what we see in Jewish theology, is that death is a part of our creation and that death should not be a part of our creation. And the reason that death is a part of our creation is because we as humans have walked away and rebelled from God and we go about doing our own thing, seeking our own ends, even seeking our own worship and setting ourselves up above God and above other people. So, when I say sin leading to death, I mean the thing in you, and, and this is where you feel it, the thing in you that keeps you from doing the things you know you ought to be doing. Uh, it's a simple, stupid example, but how, how many of you made like a, a New Year's resolution in your life, in the past? Throw, throw, throw some at me. 
Exercise. Wait, did you say to eat more? Read more. I was saying that's a good one. That is a good one. Okay, read more, exercise. Closer relationship with God. Here we go, getting a little deeper now. Okay. Wait, what was that? Lose weight. Okay. In there with exercise. Okay, study. Watch the news. Mine was to stop watching the news. Uh, wait, what was it, Michael Bailey? Break old habits. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Okay. How many of you have set one up and succeeded in it? Okay. How many have you have set one up and ultimately just failed at it? Okay. Normal people. These are normal people. Okay. Now, think in your mind the things that you wouldn't consider New Year's resolutions, but the things that maybe you wake up in the morning, feel guilty about from something that happened yesterday, and you say in your mind, I'm never, ever going to do that again. And you've had that experience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might not say it. Um... How many of you have done that thing again? Right, okay. Um, or maybe it's not something you've done, but it's a way that you are. Maybe you have like outbursts of anger that you don't necessarily like. And you don't want to be that way, but just like something can like trigger you like, like that, you know? Like, and then you just, you just unleash, you say things you maybe mean and shouldn't have said. Or maybe you don't actually mean it all. And then once you quiet down and relax, you, you not just wish you didn't say that, but you wish you weren't that way. You wish you weren't that person that sort of unloads like that. So when I say sin leading to death, that's more what I mean. And when I say the power of sin leading to death, I mean specifically the power that that whatever that is inside of you that clicks on that anger or that runs to alcohol when things aren't good or that runs to pornography when things aren't good or runs, I don't know, to weed when things aren't good, whatever it is for you, that thing in you that pushes you to do that thing you don't want to do is the power of sin. It's the power of it. It is, it is real and it's powerful. So, I'm going to just read, like, the powers that are destroying the earth, the powers that are destroying humanity, the good news is that Jesus has defeated those things. So, it's more than Jesus has wiped away your sins. That is part of it. That's so part of it. But it's so much bigger than that. It is bigger than that. So, sin leading to death. Corruption leading to pain. Think uh, the Mexican government. Think um, governments in the Middle East. Um, think of these places where there are political systems in power where resources are completely robbed from people who need them. Corruption leading to pain. The deterioration of everything that is good in the world. Corruption leading to pain. Guilt leading to shame. The power that guilt has to draw you away from God, to draw you away from other people. It is powerful. 
And yet Jesus is saying, and what Paul is saying, is that Jesus has in some way defeated that. Guilt leading to shame. Demonic spiritual forces leading to bondage. Coercive world powers leading to oppression. And cultural influences that guide and direct your decision making down a specific path that you don't even realize that they are doing. When I say cultural influences, I mean something like this. When I say what is your ideal future, or what is the future that our culture has painted for you, what is it, how, how do we become happy in this world or whatever, I think a lot of us have in our mind, it's a narrative that plays out. We have in our mind that I'm going to do well in school, and when I'm in college, I'm going to meet this person probably in my junior or senior year. We're going to fall in love. By senior year, we're going to be engaged. Then after senior year, we're going to be married. And then after we get married, we're both going to find really good jobs that pay about $40,000 starting out with good upward mobility so that I can stay there for a long time and maybe make $100,000. We'll bring $200,000 into the home after about 15 years. We'll have two and a half kids. We'll have a dog, maybe not a cat. Right? And then when I get old enough, I'll have socked enough, uh, enough money away that I can retire and go traveling. I can get my kids out of the house. Their college will be paid for. Right? So that's a narrative that our culture has said. If you follow in this, happiness. If anything deviates, you suck. Right? Like, if you make it to college and there's no spouse there, something must be wrong with you. And you should feel bad about that. Right? It's a cultural influence that says this is what makes for happiness. This is what you should be going for. This is what you should strive for. This is the direction of your life. Now go. Or cultural influences that says this is what a fulfilled college life looks like. Get to college. Maybe join a fraternity or sorority. Maybe not. But whatever you do, do crazy things that make for good stories. Act a little crazy. Get a little drunk. Maybe go to Vegas once or twice after you're 21 so that you can have stories that are in line with the hangover. Maybe not that crazy, but a little bit crazy. And so I can have some story that's cool and easy to tell after I get out of college and get married. I'll settle down. I'll get re-plugged back into a church because I want to raise my kids in a really good way cultural narrative that says this is the fulfilled college life there is no cultural narrative that says the fulfilled college life is go somewhere get plugged in and serve at a church and as you serve at that church pour yourself out give of your time and your influence and then when you leave there maybe you'll have a spouse in mind or maybe you won't but trust the lord because he's going to provide for you as you move along and there's nothing to worry about right How, is that like is that a like, there's no cultural influence that says that. Even though it's what we're being called into. What we're being called into. And so Jesus is greater than all these things. He, the good news is that he has defeated these three things. Sin, the world, and when I say the world, I mean those cultural influences. I mean the cultural influences of your home, the cultural influences of deep East Texas, the cultural influences of the southern United States, the cultural influences of the greater United States, the cultural influences of all those things. He's defeated sin, the world, and the demonic spiritual forces that have created those cultural influences for you through human figures. So it's not simply your sins are washed away. 
but rather the crucified Jesus has reclaimed authority over all things. He has been resurrected to show that He was indeed the Son of God. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father where He sits above all rule, power, authority, dominion, above every name that is named in this age and the one to come. And we have to tap into all that that means and not simply muddle along in the Gospel means my sins are forgiven. It does. But the Gospel means that Jesus is Lord of all creation. And He has called you to be a part of His family where everything that you need will be provided and everything that He would have you do, He will fill you with power to do. Everything that's at work against you, pornography, anger, guilt, shame, addiction, the power of that has been done away with and you can walk in the power of the Spirit till you do away with that completely and utterly. It is the power of the Gospel for salvation. And so when we use that word salvation, I don't necessarily mean you get an afterlife. You do. Part of the story again. Rather, salvation is so much bigger. It's salvation. So for the first century Jews, it was salvation from the oppressive Roman government. It was salvation from demonic spiritual forces. It was salvation from their own guilt and shame. It was salvation from exile. For you, the power of God for salvation against all the things that I've already mentioned. It's the power of God for salvation from your sin and the guilt and the shame that it causes and the death that it will bring about. It's salvation from your addiction. It's salvation from these cultural narratives that want to guide you and shape you and freedom from those things. It's salvation in a much larger context, right? So the gospel is the good news that Israel's God has acted in history through Jesus to reclaim the world from the powers that were destroying it. Sin leading to death. Corruption leading to pain. Guilt leading to shame. Demonic spiritual forces leading to bondage. Coercive world powers leading to oppression. And cultural influences that guide and direct your life. Jesus has defeated sin, the world, and Satan and is now Lord of the world. That's right, the Gospel. That Jesus, the good news that God has reclaimed this world. And we can be a part of the rest of that reclaiming process. Since Jesus is Lord, your sins can be forgiven. You don't have to follow the pattern of this world. Demonic spiritual forces are subject to you in Jesus' name, not the other way around. And so, by way of application... What does he say in 17? That the way that we tap into that or walk in that is by belief. It's not by, it's not by doing the right things, going to church enough, reading your Bible enough, praying enough so that God looks at you and says, I'm happy. Rather, it's by believing that Jesus was the Son of God who was crucified, who was resurrected, who has ascended to the right hand of the Father by believing in the work of Jesus, believing that He is Lord and putting all of your life and your hope and your faith and all these things in Him for Him to bring about a future that is right, for Him to bring about the ending of pain in this world, for Him to bring about the setting of this whole world right, for Him to bring about those things, and I'm hoping for that in the future. I'm not hoping that my nest egg is going to fulfill me. I'm not hoping that my this girl that I meet when I'm a junior in college is going to be the fulfillment of my life, or my two and a half kids, or my dog and no cat. It's not going to be any of these things that fulfill, but my hope is set purely and completely on what Jesus is doing in the world and how He's going to use me to be a part of that. My hope, is, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? Like we sing that song. 
That that's what he that's what he means. So again, by way of application, we tap into that by belief, by faith. My fear is my fear is this uh, that many of you may have sort of a narrow view of the gospel, right? That you may walk in here with a narrow view of the gospel, which is simply, I've asked Jesus into my heart, I've asked him into my heart, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And yet, you might struggle with addictions that you can't get a leg up over, um, anger you can't just get rid of. So my fear is that some of you really do want to follow Jesus, but there is this thing that is consistently beating you down, and you can't figure out why it's there, and you ask Jesus to take it away, and he doesn't take it away. And so you sit in your room, and you're like, what are you doing, God? How come this is still there? I thought you had power to take this away, and you don't. What's going on? Am I doing something wrong? Maybe I should work harder. Maybe I should read a book. Maybe I should wake up at 5.30 and pray, whatever, like maybe I should do this, maybe I should do this, and maybe it'll take it away, maybe it'll take it away, and it never, ever takes it away. And so I want to say the first step in that is realizing, one, that that isn't where the Lord wants you, and He does have power to bring you out of that. He does have power to bring you out of that. He is Lord of all creation, and He died to set you free from the power of sin and the world and Satan, and He absolutely will, and He can. That doesn't mean everything disappears and life becomes rosy. It does mean that you can walk in authority and power and you don't have to be a slave to those things. You might battle them. You might slip. You'll find victory. But you don't have to be a slave to those things. Whatever that is in your life, you don't have to be a slave to it. And part of what I want you to experience here in this place in the same way that I experienced it is encountering people who can walk with you out of that crap because it can happen. And I've seen it over and over again. And so my fear is that some of you have just a partial view of the gospel. And it's good. It's a great entry point. But we need to flesh that out. And we need to set our hope in our life on something bigger. All that Jesus did. And so if that's you, uh, you know, we're going to sing here in a little bit. And I just want you to feel free to please make your way to one of the people on the prayer team. Let them know that's where you are. Um, we're training our prayer team to disciple and to disciple well. Um, and they long to walk with you out of that stuff. And so if that's where you are, you can walk out of it. You can walk out of it. And then secondly, my fear is that perhaps some of you have bought into the same sort of reduced gospel, but it doesn't necessarily produce submission to Jesus as Lord. Rather, it's Jesus saved me from my sins. Sweet. And not, I've submitted myself to the Lord of the world. I want to go where He wants me to go. I want His kingdom to come. I want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, in, in my life as it is in heaven. My guess is if you buy into Jesus was a historical figure that saves people from sins, and that's a nice thing, you might not buy into Jesus is Lord of all the world and I want to submit my life and my future and everything to him so I can walk in the life that he promised. I feel like because of the, way, the place that we live, the southern United States, you can kind of get inoculated with the gospel. It's like, hey, ask Jesus into your heart. Psst, good to go. All right, we'll see you later on. Um, when, in fact, an inoculation, just like a quick vaccine so you don't go to hell and that's it um 
I don't know what that is. I don't, I mean, I kind of have an idea where it comes from, but what I see a lot is a compromised faith down here. A compromised faith. It's like one foot in Jesus and then one foot somewhere else. It's like partial submission to Jesus and partial submission to the American dream. A partial submission to Jesus and partial submission to this cultural college life. Partial submission to Jesus, partial submission to your image or a relationship or fill in the blank. And so it's early in the year. Hopefully you haven't tied yourself up with people that are really going to drag you down yet. Some of you have. I don't know. I want to take a moment tonight as we sing the last song that you might be able to do one of those two things. If there's things you need to get off your chest, you need prayer for, and it's not something super deep, go to the prayer team. If there's something super deep that you can't get a handle on, please go to the prayer team. There are people at this church that want to walk with you out of that. And then finally, if you find yourself in that compromised faith and that's not really where you want to live and walk and you know you shouldn't be there, I just want to say, take a moment while we worship that you turn to the Lord and just say place this above you I seek this more than you and Father I want your will and I want your kingdom I want you to provide my needs I want to know what you would have me do I lay myself before you you just submit yourself to him right and then tomorrow morning you do it again and then tomorrow morning you do it again and do it again but I think, it's, I think it's good that we take a time before the year starts, before it just gets rolling out of control, and we stop and breathe, talk to our Father, let Him know where we are. He understands. He knows where you are. And He wants good, good things for you. Really good things for you.